I want to welcome everyone who's watching us online today or through our church app. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, to those of you who are here live and in person with us, uh, we are going to be continuing on in our journey through the book of James this morning. We are in James chapter 4. The, uh, the very end of chapter four. We're moving quickly through our series here as we approach the fall. But uh, today we're going to be in James chapter four, verses 13 through 17. Now I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin. What would you do if you knew you only had 12 minutes to live? Think about that. What would you do if you had only 12 minutes to live? You know, for over a million people in Hawaii on January 13th of this year, that wasn't just a hypothetical question. Saturday morning, January 13th, 2018, millions of people woke up to a beautiful sunny day in Hawaii. Tourists were preparing to hit the beach. Surfers were paddling out to catch the first waves of the day. Students at the University of Hawaii were attending classes and People were running errands and going to work like any other normal day. When all of a sudden at 8 o'clock in the morning, a statewide emergency alert was issued. People on their cell phones, on the TVs, on the radios received this message. Emergency alert, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Now keep in mind, friends, this was a few months ago when President Trump and Kim Jong-un of North Korea were in their heated Twitter battle. Remember President Trump calling him Rocket Man and they were exchanging jabs on on Twitter. And so people thought, "This this isn't a false alarm. This is the real thing. There's a missile coming. And the news said that a missile from North Korea would take 12 to 15 minutes to arrive on the Hawaiian Islands. What would you do if you knew that you maybe only had 12 minutes left to live? People who lived through that episode reported that they gathered together, tourists gathered in their hotel rooms and and said quick words of prayer. Some people got on their cell phones and posted videos to YouTube telling their family they loved them, telling their friends they loved them. People confessed their sins and asked God, begging God for mercy. Parents on the streets of Honolulu, literally opened up manhole covers and and stuffed their kids down into the manhole pipes, seeking shelter and protection. Can you imagine the terror? 12 minutes of fear, wondering, when's the missile going to strike? Well, 12 minutes went by and there was no missile. 20 minutes went by and still no missile. 30 minutes after the initial warning was sent out, the state of Hawaii issued another release through the state's emergency management system saying, we're sorry, this was just a false alarm. Somebody had accidentally pushed the warning button in the emergency management area of Hawaii. That's quite a false alarm. And it shook up a lot of people. But you know, one of the things that interested me most about this whole situation was just how quickly life went back to normal once that false alarm was issued. It only took a matter of minutes before tourists were back on the beach going ahead with their normal routines. People were headed back to work, students going back to their classes. It was as if the whole thing had never took place. The, the imminent threat of being wiped off the face of the earth and now everything 
goes back to normal. You see, the reality is, friends, none of us likes to think about the brevity of life or how quickly our circumstances can change. We, we like to imagine that we can plan and control our destinies, that we're the ultimate authorities over our lives. But as we're going to see in our study of James this morning, too often we delude ourselves by embracing this illusion of control. And so today, James is going to shake us. He wants to wake us up from our slumber, but his goal is not to scare us or or to create a church paralyzed by some kind of fatalistic outlook on life. James's goal this morning is to help us recognize that one of the keys to a consistent faith, remember that's the whole point of the book of James. What does it mean to live consistently what we claim to believe as Christians? And James is going to reveal to us today that one of the keys to a consistent faith is to realize our complete dependence on God. We need to realize our complete dependence on God. And James wants to challenge our tendency, the tendency that all of us are prone to, to play God over our own lives, as if we have control, as if we are the masters of the universe. And instead, James wants us to recognize that our lives need to be characterized by a humble submission, where we humbly submit our future and all of our plans into God's hands and his perfect will. So I want to read our passage this morning. It's a short chunk of scripture, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And then I want to come back and I want to look at the question, what does it mean to be faithful as we move towards the future as followers of Jesus Christ? So let's look at our passage together. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. James says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Short but very powerful passage of Scripture. And this morning, the question I want to ask is, what does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to be faithful as we look towards the future? Here in this short passage, James gives us three essential reminders. Three essential reminders that are critical for us to understand as we look towards the future. Number one, James tells us that life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. Now, our passage this morning begins with what appears to be a rebuke. It looks like James is rebuking the merchants and businessmen of the early Christian community. And at first glance, it might seem that James has some kind of problem with what they're doing. Look again, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Does James have a problem with with businessmen making plans and and, and seeking to to, uh, increase their profits? Is that what this passage is all about? Friends, we need to have a proper understanding of what James is talking about here in this passage. First and foremost, we need to recognize that God is not against planning 
or an entrepreneurial spirit. Okay, so if you're a businessman or businesswoman here this morning, God is not against planning. He's not against an entrepreneurial spirit. In fact, the Bible is full of biblical passages, references speaking to God's command for us to be wise in our planning, to be good stewards of our future, to be be diligent in our work, in our productivity. Those are godly things. Take, for example, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. That's biblical wisdom, friends. That's great wisdom to apply to your life. So so understand this. God is not against planning. He's not against an entrepreneurial spirit. God has no problem with us making plans for the future. So so if you're a businessman, a businesswoman, an an entrepreneur here, somebody who's, who's trying to do well and prosper in your life, understand this. God has no problem with you trying to do well in your chosen profession. Making plans and conducting business is a part of everyday life. In fact, it's actually a part of God's original creation mandate for humanity. Remember, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. One of the very first instructions that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden was to work. As God's creation, men and women, we are called to work. Work is good. And work requires planning. Just yesterday, for example, we had a a group of guys here from our building and grounds ministry team. And they were down in our fellowship hall. They were working all morning, hanging new lights down there, putting up new ceiling panels. It's beautiful. They did awesome work. But you know what? That work took planning. Somebody needed to organize that day. Somebody needed to call the volunteers. Somebody needed to go and get the materials necessary. It required planning in order to pull it off. Planning is part of everyday life. And the reality is, None of us could function without making plans. Whether you're talking your business, your, your church, your family. I mean, mom's here, right? Can you imagine trying to make it through a week with your kids and your family without making any plans? I mean, it'd be chaos. We have to plan if we're going to honor our commitments and honor God. So the question then becomes, well, what is James getting at in this passage? If he's not against planning, if this isn't about, you know, productivity and having an entrepreneurial spirit, what's James talking about here this morning? Well, friends, James wants us to beware of an ungodly and arrogant attitude when it comes to our business and planning. That's the warning in our passage today. It's about embracing an ungodly, arrogant attitude. James is warning us about the all-too-common temptation of playing God over our lives. We think that we have it all under control. We think that we're the boss, that we're the master of our own destiny. And this is what James is cautioning us against, this, this arrogant attitude that takes no account of God and his sovereignty and his will in our lives. You know, when James penned these words, I can't help but think that he might have had one of his brother's stories in mind. Remember, James, his earthly brother was Jesus, and Jesus told a story very similar to the message of our passage today. If you remember our series in Luke, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus told the story of the rich fool. Remember, he told in this parable, The ground of a certain man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. 
And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. I wonder if James had that parable in mind as he wrote this warning to the early church. You see, friends, James's point here this morning is that none of us knows what will happen tomorrow. Life is uncertain. The, the, the future is uncertain. God knows it, but we don't. J- just this last Sunday afternoon, I was at home and I was talking to my neighbor one of my good buddies, some of you know Corey Matheson, and, and he and his son were all excited because just this Friday they were planning on going on a week-long fishing trip up to Canada. It's an annual trip they do with a bunch of buddies of his, and they rent out a lodge up there, and, and, uh, and they were all excited, and Corey was telling me about their plans and the lakes they were going to fish, and, and they were so excited about this big trip. Well, Friday morning, just a few days came. Just a few days ago, Corey was out at 5.30 in the morning. He was packing up his car loading up their luggage, loading up all their fishing gear. He went inside at 6 o'clock to say goodbye to his wife, to grab something quick to eat. At 6.15, when he and his son went back out to leave for their trip, the car was gone. Somebody had stolen their car right out of the garage Friday morning. He had turned his back for 10 minutes, and the car was gone, all their luggage was gone, all their fishing gear was gone. All their plans crumbled in an instant. We make plans, but life is uncertain. James says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Now, while we don't like to think about this, the reality is we have far less control over our lives than we like to admit. We can't control the future. We don't know what the future holds. In fact, there's no guarantee that any of us here We'll even make it through this sermon today. And no, Aaron, I'm not just talking about staying awake for it. <laughs> I came across a story just this week. A Baptist minister, his name, his name Pastor Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Green, 56 years old, down in New Orleans two years ago. He was preaching in front of his church. He was preaching a passage from the Psalms and, and he started sharing the message of the gospel, the message of salvation. And, and Pastor Green, in his message, he made this declaration. He said, if the Lord were to come for me today, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. A split second after he said those words, his eyes rolled back in his head and he collapsed on the platform and he died. 56-year-old Baptist minister. Friends, none of us know what the future holds. None of us knows where we're going to be five minutes today from right now, five hours from right now, five days from right now. God knows it, but we don't. And you know what? If the Lord should come for me today, I'm ready. Now, I hope he lets me finish this sermon, but, but I'm ready. But I don't know God's timing. None of us do. And this isn't an easy truth to embrace, but, but the first thing James wants us to recognize this morning is that we really don't have as much control over the future as we might like to think. Life is uncertain. Now, not only is life uncertain, but James goes on to remind us, secondly, reminder number two, life is short. 
Life is short. In verses 14, James goes on to say, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Poof, it's gone. Now, James here doesn't just caution us about our planning, but he also wants us to adopt a realistic view of our lives. He says, what is your life? Friends, have you ever thought about that question? What is your life? You see, James wants us to recognize this morning that our problem as sinful and self-centered individuals is that we have a tendency to view our lives as if everything revolves around us. How many of you remember that that famous Titanic movie years ago, right? Leonardo DiCaprio. Remember the famous scene? He's standing on the mast of that ship as it's going across the ocean. and, And what does he shout out? I'm the king of the world. Friends, how many of us view our lives in that very way? I'm the king of the world. It all revolves around me. I'm in control. I'm the master of my own destiny. But as he's so often done in our series this summer, James doesn't pull any punches here. He hits us in our sinful pride, right where it hurts. And James says, what is your life? You are a mist. You're a mist. This morning, getting ready for church, I took a shower, and we had the air conditioner on at our house. And as I got out of the shower, my bathroom was full of steam. So I flipped on the bathroom fan and I opened the door and within a matter of seconds, that steam was gone. That's the nature of mist, friends. Here one moment, gone the next. And in our passage here this morning, James reminds us of of this brutal reality, the nature of our existence. Our lives are fleeting. We're here for a brief time and then we're gone. It's just like the psalmist tells us in Psalm 90 verses 3 through 6, God, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. That's the nature of our lives. It's like the grass of summer in the morning, the dew is on it, turning green. It's alive by the end of a hot summer day. It's crumbled, it's withered. You know, friends, I'm 42 years old today. And and I think about that, and it just blows my mind sometimes, like, where'd the time go? I mean, I look back, and there are times where I feel like I was just in high school yesterday. And when I think about that, I thought about that this week. I'm 42 years old. I'm almost 43 and I think about this, and here's what I thought about. If, if my grandfather and my dad's lives are any indicator, I've already lived well over half of my life. I've lived over half of my life if my family history is any indicator. Now, that's a sobering thought. Where's the time go? We're just a mist, James says, here for a little while and then gone. And yet... Aren't we quick to make plans and view our lives as if everything we do is so significant? The British evangelist Rico Tice, some of you might recognize him. He's one of the speakers in the discipleship curriculum we use here at Lakes Free, Christianity Explored and Discipleship Explored. Rico Tice, when he is speaking in his evangelistic outreaches, he often asks his audience the question, how many of you know your great-grandfather's first name? 
Think about that for a minute. Let's see a show of hands. How many of you here know, not your grandfather, your great-grandfather's first name? Raise your hands. Look at that. Very few of us. Very few of us. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. Very few of us today know our great-grandfather's first name, and yet this was a man who was around not too many decades ago. This is a man whose blood courses through your veins. But now today, he's basically forgotten and unknown. He's missed. Friends, James wants us to remember this morning the fleeting nature of our lives. And the stark reality is someday you're going to be gone and the world is going to move on without you. So maybe all of our plans and our self-serving agendas really aren't as significant as we like to think. Now, James has hit us with some pretty brutal honesty up to this point. But James, in reminding us of the uncertainty of life as well as the brevity of life, while this message so far has been pretty blunt, James has an important agenda in all of this for us today. You see, the the first two reminders James has given us in our passage this morning are hopefully provoking a question in us today. And maybe you're thinking something like I did this week. So if my future is so uncertain, and if my life is so short, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to live in light of these realities? And fortunately, James has an answer for us today. This leads me to point number three this morning. James reminds us that life is in God's hands. Life is in God's hands. How should we live in light of the uncertainty and brevity of life? Well, James answers our question by pointing us to the sovereignty of God and our appropriate response to it. God's sovereignty and our response to it. Let's take a look at verses 15 through 17 once again. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. James today has a goal in mind. And his goal is to help us recognize that if we are going to walk consistently with the Lord as we approach the future, our lives need to be characterized by a humble submission and dependence on God. And what does this humility and dependence on God look like? James says, we need to act. We need to act. Simple acronym for you this morning. In these last two verses in our passage, James says, number one, we need to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. We need to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. What is the word sovereignty all about? If you're not familiar with that term, God's sovereignty refers to the truth that God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing, and there is nothing that happens in this universe that is outside of his good and perfect will. James reminds us this morning that God is sovereign. He is in control. He is the creator and the master and the author of all things. 
We see this truth all throughout the word of God, all throughout scripture. God's word affirms the truth of his sovereignty. Take a look at Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. That is the sovereignty of God. We see the sovereignty of God in other references, passages like Psalm 139, 16. And and think about this in, in reference to your own life. God, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There is nothing that happens in our lives that God is not intimately aware of. God authored the days of our lives before we were even born. Proverbs 16, 9 tells us, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. God is sovereign. God is in control. And this is why James tells us in verse 15 that our attitude, the attitude of humble submission as we look to the future should be an attitude that says, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. Like that song that's on the radio these days says, I won't move without you. If it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. And so all of our plans, all of our dreams, all of our hopes need to be laid at the feet of Jesus. And we need to submit our lives to God in humility and say, Lord, I trust you. If it's your will, I trust in you. See, God is God and I am not. I can't play God over my life no matter how much I want to. God is God and I am not. God is sovereign and I am a servant. See, we often get those things flipped around. We think we're the sovereign and he's the servant. And that's when life takes radical paths off course. God is sovereign and I am a servant. So we need to acknowledge God's sovereignty. Secondly, James tells us in our passage in verse 16, we need to commit our plans to the Lord. We need to commit all of our plans to the Lord. In verse 16, James warns us that when we fail to commit our plans to the Lord, we are guilty of arrogant boasting. James says you boast and brag. And this boasting is evil. The Greek word that James uses here for boast and brag is alazanea. And the word alazanea, in his commentary on the book of James, William Barclay describes this term as characteristic of the wandering quack, the, the slick snake oil salesman who offered cures which couldn't remedy anything and who boasted of things that he wasn't able to do. Alazanea, you boast and you brag, but you really can't do anything. You make these grand plans, these grand schemes, and it's all wishful thinking. This is the person who tries to play God over their life. On the flip side, friends, a life that is looking faithfully into the future will consistently commit its dreams and plans into the hands of God, while also remembering that our plans might not always be God's plans. See, you need to remember that fact. We commit our dreams and our hopes and our plans to God, but we also recognize because he's sovereign, his plans might not always be our plans. But you know what? God's plans are good. Jeremiah 29, 11, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Friends, this passage is either true or it's not. And if it's true, what does this mean? God has plans for your life. God has good plans for your life. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, oh Lord, my, my life sure isn't looking like that today. Friends, this is either true or it's not true. Well, well, well Jesus, I, I, I didn't expect to get cancer. I didn't expect my wife to leave me. I didn't expect my kids to turn out as, as rebellious, you know, heathens. Friends, this is either true or it's not true. God knows the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. See, sometimes the way we envision our lives and our plans don't always turn out in alignment with how God plans the days of our lives. But we need to humbly submit to him and trust him because his plans are always good, whether we recognize that or not. Romans 8.28, the Apostle Paul tells us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, no matter the trial, no matter the hardship, no matter the tribulation, the author of your days has good plans for your life, and you need to trust him. Thirdly, James tells us as we act, we need to take action. So we acknowledge God's sovereignty, we commit our plans to the Lord, and then we need to take action and live our lives consistently. James says in verse 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, they sin. If you know the good you ought to do and don't do it, you sin. Take action, live consistently. Friends, let me tell you something that could change your life forever from this day forward. It's never too late to become the you you might have been. It's never too late to become the you you might have been. As you look at your life today and you think to myself, things aren't working the way I thought they were. My, my marriage is falling apart. My kids hate me. Financially, I'm a ruin. Right? When you look at the state of your life today, you need to understand this morning that it is never too late to be the you you might have been. You see, here's the reality of it. You can't change the past, but you can change the future. And how do you do that? James says you build your life upon the rock. You live consistently with God's truth for life. See, that's what James is talking about here in verse 17. God has given us his perfect word. He's given us his will. He's given us his guidance for life. This is God's instruction manual, his game plan for life. When we follow God's word faithfully and consistently, it leads to life and life to the full. But when we do life on our own terms, that's when we find ourselves walking down paths that lead to nowhere good. But the good news of God's grace this morning, friends, is that it's never too late to be the you that you want to be. If you look at your life today and you're not happy with the direction you're going, how do you remedy that? Well, James gives us the diagnosis and the cure right here. He says, put your life founded upon the rock. Get it back in line with God's truth. James says when we walk in line with God's truth, it leads to fullness. It leads to joy. It leads to peace and contentment. 
That's where life is found when we live it consistently with our maker. And so that's our goal this morning. We need to act. We we need to acknowledge God's sovereignty. We need to commit all of our plans to the Lord. We need to take action, living consistently with the truth that God has revealed to us. And when we do that, friends, that's when we will begin to move faithfully into the future. That's what a faithful, consistent Christian walk looks like as we face the future. We don't know the future. The future is uncertain. Our lives are short. We don't know, have control over any of that. But if we will act, acknowledging his sovereignty, committing our plans to the Lord, taking action by living consistently with God's revealed truth, that's the faithful life that moves confidently into the future, walking consistently and faithfully with God. I want to share something with you this morning as I close. This acronym ACT, this has become a whole lot more for me than just a cute little sermon outline. In recent years, God has used these principles to to do a powerful work in my life, in my family's life. Some of you guys know, some of you may not. Three years ago, my wife was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. You know, you get a diagnosis like that, it changes things in a hurry. Gives you a whole new perspective on life. You realize life is a lot more fragile than we like to think. You realize we have a lot less control over our lives and our future than we like to think. And you know what? You learn to trust God and be thankful for every day that you have. God changes a lot of your priorities. He changes your outlook on what matters most in life. You know, things I used to care about today are a lot less significant to me. You know what's significant to me today? Loving God, loving people, being a good husband, a good dad, and proclaiming the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Everything else, just peripheral stuff. You see, it it changes your whole perspective. When you recognize the fragile nature of our lives, how life is so very precious. And and the truth is, friends, all of us here, we only get one go around. We only have one chance. And so I want to make my life count for something. I want to make my life count for eternity. I don't want to live my life pursuing things that, like Jesus says, like moth and rust is going to destroy and Like, I don't want to live my life for that. I want to invest in things that have eternal meaning and value. And what is that? It's people and it's souls and and it's loving others as God loved us. That's where I want to put my priorities. That's where I want to invest my life. I want to live with eternity's values in view. So I ask you this morning, what about you? What kind of attitude will you embrace as you look to the future? Are you ready to act? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this simple yet very powerful passage that you've given us here in the book of James. And Lord, while this is a a tough message for us to be reminded of that we really don't have a lot of control over our lives or our future, you also tell us, Lord, that you are sovereign and you are in control and you call us to trust you. You call us to walk by faith, humbly submitting our lives and our will to you. 
And you promise us that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you will lead us, you will guide us, and you will show us the path that leads to life and life to the full. So I pray that all of us here this morning would be people who act. As we look to the future, that we would acknowledge your sovereignty over our lives, that we would commit all of our plans to you and your perfect will, and that we would take action, living consistently, building our lives on the perfect word of God, which leads to life. Help us in that, Jesus. We need your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to remind you this morning, if you'd like, our elders and Stephen ministers will be at the front of the stage here to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. And now I leave you with this benediction from the book of Acts, chapter 20. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God bless you, friends. Amen.